The Grey Rooms is proud to be supported by Sonnet. Sonnet is a modern, easy-to-use podcasting app for listeners with Android phones. Escaping from an extra-dimensional prison? Well, that's hard. Listening to podcasts should be easy. But many podcast apps send you down an endless set of corridors, each more twisty than the last. Sonnet's clean design and user-friendly interface makes it incredibly easy to discover new shows, listen to your favorites, and keep up to date with all of the latest episodes. And best of all, Sonnet is free. So click on the link in the description to return to the Grey Rooms through Sonnet. And hope against hope you do not end up in the Grey Rooms. This episode contains mature language and situations. Listener discretion is advised. You wake, standing on the doorstep of a beautiful mansion. The front door stands open. You can hear voices, music, so many, many people. You step towards the door. You have to know what's inside. You're lost. You have no memory of how you got here. It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to The Grey Rooms. creator of the Grey Rooms. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4. Are you enjoying your stay at Nash Manor? I know we've enjoyed having you here with us as we navigate this new schedule and bring you something new and monstrous every week. We, of course, could not create this show without your support and want to take the time to thank all of you and our wonderful patrons. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to continue to do what we love. Make extra squishy horror. (laughs) That's the best part. Well, speaking of our patrons, one of the extra perks they'll get for supporting the show, outside of our undying gratitude and being listed at the end of the show, are a handful of extra terrifying bonus episodes. The first one of the season will be dropping into their feeds this Sunday. So if you are interested in joining them and would like to support the show, jump on over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms today and find the tier that's right for you. But as for now, stay safe listeners. The team and I have a few um, extra squishy episodes to work on. (laughs) So 
So settle in and enjoy the show. Only one has what it takes to defend the 12 galaxies. Where other men would be afraid, he rises to the challenge. Only one man has the wisdom and fortitude to stand against the faithless. Those who would cast a shadow on the searing light of humanity. That man is Admiral Beckett! Last time on the thrilling adventures of the one and only Admiral Beckett. The Faithless have taken the outpost on Garzak 4. Reports indicate our forces have been completely overrun. Don't worry, Captain Lorelei. The safety of the Twelve Galaxies is in my hands. Send a message to the fleet stationed off the Kendari Nebula. Execute my secret order. Now! But, Admiral, there is no fleet stationed off the Kendari Nebula. Isn't there, Captain? Isn't there? Now sit back and tune in, as we find Beckett contemplating the vastness of space from his Admiral's suite, a brandy in his hand, and a cigar on his lips. The Faithless cannot be allowed to hold Garzak. I hope the Kandari fleet follows through. Or Captain Ramos is going to owe me a drink at the officers' club. Come. Ah, Captain Lorelei. How goes the battle? We're holding this wing with the might of the Syrian alone, sir. She's a mighty warship. But the bulk of their strength is directed elsewhere. Very good. I know you have your hands full, but... Are there any updates from the other theaters of war? Not much has come over the hyperwire recently. Arestrius looks to be holding, and we've reinforced the Zagreus cloud. As long as we hold at the bottleneck, sir, I think we'll be all right. Very good. This campaign has been years in the making. I would hate to see it come apart so easily. <sighs> it seems the battle progresses. We won't let you down, Admiral. May I return to my post? Of course. Dismissed. Oh, one more thing, sir. I think your son would like to speak with you. I saw him on my way in. Samuel, I assume. Loitering in the hall again? Yes, sir. Please send him in. Thank you, Captain. Sir. Enter. Hey, Dad. Uh, sir. Uh, Admiral. 
You're a cadet now, Samuel. You should know by now. What are the rules? When we're both off duty, I can call you dad. I know, it just... It feels weird. Well, toughen up, lad. What did you want to talk about? Uh, I was listening to the Hyper News earlier, and... I don't understand. Didn't your fleet attack first? The report said that the fighting began in response to something that the Sovereign did. It's a complicated subject, son. I know some of the things I said last year might have confused you. You're a young man. The news was right. The Sovereign was to blame. Removing him from power is the only choice we have. This whole war is, of course, just a response to their aggression. I know what I heard. You and Mom were sometimes shouting at each other about it. And those people coming to the house? This is a power grab, pure and simple, isn't it? Mind your tone, boy. You have this wrong. Listen to your father. Now. Oh. Oh, I understand. I must have been wrong. You're so wise. I'm so glad we have you to look after us. Well, thank you, son. That's kind of you to say. Uh, I'm so glad I'm here with you on your flagship. It's such an honor to serve under you. It still makes me so proud seeing you in that uniform. One day soon you'll be running your own ship, commanding your own crew. I can picture it so clearly. I know. Me too, Dad. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. What? What's going on? Nothing, Dad. I'm just so happy to be here with you today on this battlefield of triumph. Ish. No, we, f- we fought. You were furious with me. I, I, I hit you. This isn't how it went at all. I know, Dad. Isn't it so much better than real life? What are you? And so that's where we'll leave it, folks. Wait, what? What's going on? Tune in again next time for the thrilling adventures of the one, the only, Admiral Beckett! One moment I was in my uniform looking down at my son. He couldn't have been more than twenty. He was beaming up at me. A smile I'm not sure I'd seen once across my long, long life. Next moment I was sitting on a couch. Back in the room with the brocade, thick carpets, and antique silver. I'd learned from Alma that this place was called the Green Lounge. Another place I could return to with the help from the tether to the manor Bob had left in my head. 
Enter. Here he is, ma'am. Just like I said he'd be. Well done, Todd. They stood in the doorway, peering in, Todd grinning like a loon. Alma had a pensive expression on her face. Everything all right, Mr. Beckett? You've been in here for some time. I couldn't imagine what you wanted me to say, so I just opted for the truth. Yes. Yes, I'm fine. I just got caught up in a memory, it seems. Sorry again about that, sir. <laughs> I don't know how your room's got away from me. <laughs> Miss Alma has the names and such, though. The manor's particularly troublesome today. No one's fault. <clears throat> Are you ready to make your choice? Yes, I am. It's good to see we're making inroads. Is that trust I hear in your voice? I don't know about that. But between you and Bob, let's just say I understand my current situation more clearly. Good enough. She was clutching a sheaf of parchment held together with a thick portfolio. She flipped back and forth between a few pages before finding what she was looking for. Hmm. A sad, quiet story about a woman in a city? Or a sad, quiet story about a woman in a rural seaside village? Seems we have a theme today. The city. Ooh, 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 that one, if you don't mind my asking, sir. Hey, I don't know. The idea of staring out at the water, I suppose, sounds depressing. Cities are places of life, for living, that's why. And of course, for dying. Of course. Shall we, then? I made my way to the door. Alma and Todd stepped out of sight. At the hall, I turned and looked back. I could still smell the cigar smoke hanging in my quarters. I could still hear the tremor in my son's voice as he dared to stand up to me. Something told me those weren't just figments cooked up by the manor, presented strangely, so boisterously. But there was truth to them beneath the fanfare. They'd drawn these moments out of me somehow and were feeding them back to me, twisted and distorted. Even my past, my very nature was theirs to play with. Another mystery of the gray rooms. I started down the hall and the pair followed me. Let's get this over with.
They all moan. Every person she passes on the street, a sad and hollow sound. Their skin is gray, they frown, and their bones pierce their flesh, as if it's rotten and decaying. Then Veronica blinks and the world settles down to look like it should. Once again, people look optimistic and cheery, chiseled cheekbones on the man smiling at her on his way past Baderna's bar and grill. There's music inside, but the hum and chatter of the city provides a secondary rhythm. All the tables are full, but she's not there for dinner. She tells the maitre d' she's only here for the bar. He gives her a pitying look, which she ignores. The only reason she remembered it was her birthday a week ago was a congratulatory text or two. She'd almost forgotten. She didn't care about her birthday then, and she doesn't care what this guy in a tux thinks of her now. Standing at the bar, no one takes notice. The bartender's pointedly ignoring her as she scans the room, looking for the one that drew her here. Then, she sees him, a man about her age at the far end, drinking a cocktail. She can feel his sorrow well before she stands at his side. He's looking down at his glass a million miles away. As Veronica reaches out to touch his shoulder, she feels like she knows him, even though she's positive she doesn't. He looks up, and in another life, she would have said he's handsome. Can I help you? Maybe. Are you alone? His eyes are filled with something she recognizes. She sees it when she looks in the mirror. She was right to come here. He might be the one. No way to tell for sure until she gets him to the house. Yes, I am. Maybe not anymore, though. Would you come with me? I need you to help me see if a house is haunted. <laughs> you think your house is haunted? I didn't say it was my house. The car's roof is down, and the night air is cool. Veronica is driving Max out of the city and along the coast. He looks at her, thinking about why he agreed to leave Baderna's with her. He went out tonight with the hope that he'd meet a girl at the bar and go back to her place, but not like this. It was as much her tone of voice that made him agree as it was the curious nature of her request. Her voice made him think she had something real to show him. Max looks out at the water in the bay. Calm, in the dark, but he heard talk of rip currents on the news. How much further is it? It's up the hill, on the cliff. One of the houses that overlooks the city. One of the mansions? No, it's not that big. Her voice is different now. Devoid of something, but he's not sure what. So, are we talking ghosts? Nope, not exactly. She puts the pedal down as they ascend. The road hugging the contours of the hill. The scent of seawater is strong. Max hopes she's a good driver. Uh, are you in a rush? No. She says this, but she doesn't slow down. Are you from the city, originally? 
Well, I went to college here. I'm considering moving back home. No one who moves to the city leaves. It's a line that should be a joke, Max thinks. But there is no hint of humor in her voice. Oh, no? The city traps you. Once you're here, you're here forever. Pretty bleak, Max thinks. He also thinks he might be in the car with someone who is not all there. Not that he sees any easy way out of it now. Uh, what, um, what do you do? I'm a florist. I inherited the business from my mother. She retired? Died. Suicide. Mine too. He'd found the body. He tries not to think of it. It's terrible going through that. Yeah. Um, but well, I, I don't know about whether I'll leave the city or not. I'm just getting by. Should probably go to grad school, you know? But the loans would be a lot of money. I'm trying to be economically responsible. Hmm. You should pick a cheaper bar, then. It's the first time since they've met he heard her crack a joke. Well, sure, but I go to Baderna's so I can meet the prettiest girls. His attempt at humor dies as soon as it's out of his mouth. There's a long silence. <laughs> You're right, I should probably find a more affordable place to go. Do you like it here? With you? No, the city. You said you moved here for college. He thinks back to the long summer nights in the suburbs, a hundred miles from here. He thinks of kissing girls at night on the bleachers, cheap beer beside them. There are things I miss. Veronica glances over at him before pulling her eyes back to the road. Wrong answer? I just tend to think we whitewash the past. Sure, but why would I want to focus on that? Well, don't you think in the long run there's something to the idea of facing the world as it is? That maybe we expend more energy by hiding from what's in front of us than we would if we just owned up to it? The road starts to flatten. They cruise by mansions, most with their lights off. They can see boats on the water bobbing in the surf. Uh, you might be right. How clearly do you think you see life? This is a deeper conversation than he signed up for. The least she could do was give him some pot first. I don't know. I don't know that anyone knows why. We're investigating a haunting. Yeah, so? Well, what is haunting if not seeing something most people don't see? There's another stretch of quiet. Max starts to think of excuses he could make. Get her to take him back to the city. That's been my whole life. Seeing things as they really are instead of how I want to see them. The first time it happened, I was so young, my mother couldn't explain to me what was happening. I forgave her for it, eventually. We're here. The house is one floor, five rooms. All pretty typical, except for the room where mirrors cover the walls. This room has no name. It needs none. The house is nicely furnished, has a modern look, but nothing that stands out. The lamps are shiny, but not ornate. The couches are new, but with no sense of design. The kitchen's appliances are up to date, but none of them are out of the ordinary. 
The back of the house has a pair of sliding doors that lead to an in-ground pool. Behind the pool is a small white picket fence and a view of the city. That's how the house was described to Veronica a few months ago. That's not what she saw when she stepped inside. She's curious what Max will see now. Curious, hopeful, and scared. Max cannot see anything. The house is dark, darker than he was expecting from the outside. Not even the light from the street lamps reaches inside. He vaguely worries that Veronica brought him here to kill him. When she flicks the lights on, he shields his eyes, the brightness feeling like sand in them. He blinks a few times before lowering his hands. The interior reminds him of his grandmother's. Something about the layout. There were some good times at Grandma's when he was young, before the cancer ate her quick. He does not get the impression anything positive happened here, though. Mm, it's just an impression. One that presses against the back of his neck. So, where's the haunting? You don't see or hear anything? He finds himself drawn to the kitchen table. There's a magazine on it, open to a middle page. He expects it will contain a gruesome article. It's about finding the right shampoo, depending on the thickness of your hair. He sighs, irritated at himself for his paranoia. Nope. I don't notice anything unusual. Yet. Veronica says nothing. So, Max scans the room again, trying to spot any details that stand out. He notices that on the kitchen table there is a layer of dust. Multiple lines trail across the surface. Is there anyone else here? No one. Why? Looks like people have been here recently. More than one person. Just me and the man who showed me this place. Did he also think this place was haunted? Well, that's not the word he used, but yes. This house is where some people, very certain people, feel almost normal. I brought someone else here the other night, and he didn't feel that way. He didn't understand this place like I do. Like I hoped he would. Max does not like the description of the other man's visit, nor her changing definition of the nature of this house. Um, what exactly happened to this other guy? His tone of voice must have given away more than he intended. Because Veronica puts her hand to her mouth. <laughs> her laugh breaks almost all of Max's preconceptions of her. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, he's fine. I, I, I think he was positive he was going to get laid, though. So, disappointed, but otherwise fine. I didn't realize your mind was going in the serial killer direction, but I get it. <laughs> Do I look like a femme fatale to you? A what? A deadly woman. I'm not going to hurt you, Max. I absolutely promise. Just take a look around this place and tell me what you feel or what you see. Well, especially what you see out of the corner of your eye. <laughs> I promise that did not sound as creepy in my head. Max smiles, thinking there might be a person beneath her weird exterior that could be worth getting to know. Okay. Okay. Thanks for not killing me. I'll look around. She nods and remains at her post in the kitchen. Max heads to the closed door to the right of the entrance. If there is anything weird going on here, it'll be behind the closed door. He's learned that from all those horror movies he watches late at night. 
when insomnia has gotten the best of him. The new room is dark, the light from behind him failing to illuminate even an inch of the room, just like how it was when he entered the house itself. Strange. He is about to mention this to Veronica when he senses her behind him, and just before he turns, she flicks on the lights, blinding him once more. Jesus! You gotta warn me before you do that. It is clear Max does not process the house the same way Veronica does. He does not hear the constant moaning. The one that reminds her of when she would visit her grandfather as he died in the hospital. Weeks and weeks before he went. He also has not commented on Veronica's appearance, which means he is not seeing beneath her. Not like how she sees him in here, all pale and lifeless. His face showing none of the emotions that are in his voice. There has been no word from him on the haze in the house. How it almost, but not quite, seems like there is fog. Nor does Max see in the mirrors what Veronica does. He sees only his reflection. To Veronica, some of the mirrors are empty. But others have a person in them. One has the man, Georges, who brought her here. Another has herself. It's not a clear image, merely an impression. Like a faded photograph. Max is in none of the reflections, which she takes as a bad sign. He's not like her. Whose idea was it to put in all these mirrors? Veronica asked Georges the same question. He pointed to the mirror that showed the reflection of a man in his late thirties with dark skin and hazel eyes. The man is silently screaming. As far as I know, he was the first person to come here, Georges told Veronica. He killed himself eventually. He couldn't handle his life felt too lonely. This place was one of the only places he felt even the least bit normal. I don't know. A narcissist, I guess. Anyway, I'm not picking up anything in here. No exorcism needed. <laughs> he chuckles, and she wonders if she should provide him with some sort of clue. Perhaps her instincts about him were not off, and he's just not yet tuned in correctly. You sure there's nothing? I don't think so. It's hard to say for sure. There's a feeling, but I don't know if it's from this room or my mind playing tricks on me, wanting to feel something that isn't here, you know? Like when you scared yourself as a kid, but did it because you wanted to be scared? His remark bothers her. She cannot imagine ever wanting to scare herself. Wasn't life scary enough? All right. Then listen. Do you hear anything? I only hear us breathing. Sorry. What do you hear? It doesn't matter. She can think of one last play. The pool. If there is any hope for Max, then it will be found out there. Why don't you go look in the pool? If you see nothing in there, then we'll call it a night. And I'll buy you a drink for your troubles. Max opens the sliding door. 
It's cool outside. Cool enough that his skin turns to goosebumps. It's not yet autumn, but the air whispers about its coming. He looks around the yard, which is well kept. Who cuts the grass? He considers asking Veronica, but he suspects she'll say it cuts itself or something. The city is bright in the distance. Beautiful. Cold, though. Colder than he remembers it. Maybe when you're in the city, walking around, wrapped up in day-to-day -day life, it's easy to miss it for what it is. Here, there is no way to ignore the fact that its size makes everyone in it insignificant. Take a look in the pool. Go on. I'll leave you alone. Come back inside when you're ready. Many possibilities of what can be in the pool go through Max's head. Dead bodies. Blood. A sea serpent. None of them pan out. The pool is a pool. The water is still. He cannot see his reflection thanks to the darkness. He debates walking away, but settles on staring for a minute or two. No need to have Veronica telling him he did not try hard enough like she's his father. He frowns at that thought. Max kneels and skims the surface of the water with his hand. It feels thicker than it should, but just like in the mirrored room, he's not sure if it's his imagination. The pool begins to turn murky. There's a smell from it, too. It reminds him of something, but what? He knows he smelled it before, but he cannot place it. Ah. Yes. When he was a child, he burned his arm on the barbecue. He went to lift the top to check on the hamburgers so he could impress his dad. He was seven. The pain was incredible, but the smell... The smell stayed with him. Burnt flesh. Now it's returned. And he cannot fathom why or how. The water moves again. And the rush of liquid makes it sound as if the pool is speaking. In the center of the pool, colors swirl and darken. Max stares deep into the pool, and as he does, the barriers on his mind are ripped away. All he can see is his life. Unfiltered. Every horror of his life he's ever seen wells up in his mind. The truth with no protection, no illusions. It's too much. Veronica is on the couch when she hears Max scream. She runs outside and sees that he's crumpled on the ground. She glances in the pool but sees nothing unusual. She stands over him. Max? He looks up. His face has decayed. His eye sockets are hollow, his nose is smoothed down, and his mouth is a small circle. He tries to speak, but he's struggling. He reaches up to grab at her hand, which she gives to him as she kneels down. His grasp is ice cold and tight. His empty eyes lock onto her. Why? Veronica does not know what to say or do. Comfort him? Flee? Apologize for bringing him here? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Help! 
How? She brushes the side of his face, hoping he finds it comforting. She can't help but think these might be his last moments. You can't. I I need you to, but you, you can't. He begins to shake. His grip tightens as his body writhes in agony. It's too much! I see too much! Lying there on the ground, Max explodes into a thousand droplets of water. They spread over the yard, some of them spraying across Veronica's face as she falls to the deck. The water on her face begins to pull away, halting in midair. The rest of the water that was once Max rises from the ground, shoots across the yard. Spinning, shimmering in the dim light, the droplets coalesce together in midair into a figure. It has the same outline as Max. It stands completely still, but the water swirls around inside it as if it is reluctant to take too steady of a form. Max? No. I can't put it back together again. The figure takes a step back and collapses into the pool with a loud splash. Veronica is alone. Time passes. The stars dim. The water remains still. Veronica remembers how to walk again. Veronica is a few blocks away from the house, on a cliff overlooking the ocean, as the sun begins to slowly rise above the horizon. There are a couple of sailboats in the distance. Even this early, the air is muggy. Feels like it will be a lot hotter than yesterday. She'll never bring anyone back to the house. She's cursed enough that the house was a relief, a sign that she is not too much of a freak. That wasn't true for Max. Max was in between. In his life, he saw both too much and too little. It ripped him apart. A couple walks up beside her. Both the boy and the girl are wasted. They can barely be out of high school. The girl looks at Veronica. Her eyes are cloudy with drink, her cheeks flushed. Her hair, a mix of brown and blonde, is tangled and knotted. Hey, we've been, out, we've been out all night. Worth it for this. The girl points. Out at the sunrise and the horizon and the boats and the waves and the city. Veronica takes it all in and blinks. She sees it all. I'm glad you think so. Too Much. Written by Donald McCarthy. With performances by Anjali Bamani 
as the narrator, Kate Baldwin as Veronica, Graham Rowett as Max, and Christy Bolton as Morning Girl. Calling Admiral Beckett was written by Michael Zenke, featuring performances by Michael Zenke himself as the announcer, Eddie Cooper as Beckett, Sarah Ruth Thomas as Lorelai, Michael Turntine as Samuel, Chantal Jean-Pierre as Alma, and Alastair Mackey as Todd. Musical composition is by J.M. Scherf. Episode artwork, web development, and creative direction was by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon management by Brooks Bigley. Videography by Hale Scherf. Audio engineering and sound design is by me, Jason Wilson. Another episode down. Season 3 is swimming right along. Just make sure to stay away from the deep end. (laughs) We can't wait to see you next week, listeners. And patrons, look for your first bonus story to slide into your feeds alongside the next episode. This one is really going to keep you hanging on the edge of your seat. Thank you again. We really could not have done this without all of you. We would like to take the time to thank our patrons and to any of those who have taken the time to leave us a five-star rating and review. Those reviews keep us at the top of the charts and make it easier for more tortured souls to find this very show. Patrons like Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Diverelli, Ellie Dowell, Emily Cullen, Haley's Vomit, Jackalbot Snows, Jason Porras, Jessica Finch, Kelly Bear, Laura Lupinetti, Lynn Browning, Lizzie B., Megan Pruitt, Michael Velez, Mike Devine, Michael Philic BG, Page H 3.14, Patrick Stewart, Sean Geary, Spirit Live, Stacy Thewis, Talicia Gallman, The Original Nick Show, and Teresa Taper. The Gray Rooms is also streaming for free on Spotify. Just get the Spotify app or open the browser and search The Gray Rooms. You can find out more by joining us on social media, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And we took your advice and extended an olive branch to all the tortured souls who have passed through the rooms. Our emotional support group is always looking to help you with all of your needs. And let's not forget, come and hang out with all of us, cast and crew alike, on our very own Discord channel. Again, 100% completely and totally in love with all of you. Thank you for these wonderful few weeks we've had for the start of our new season, and thank you ever so much for your support. So till next time, we'll see you next week.